Father God, we pray that you would um, let your blessing flow through this, your servant, Doug. Um, Lord, we thank you for all the things you've spoken to him this week that you have for us, and we pray that you would give us hearts to receive your message for your people this morning. Lord, give Doug clarity of thought and speech. Give him the right cadence and demeanor to deliver your word to us this morning. We thank you. We give you praise. We pray blessing, uh, Doug, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Maria. <clears throat> I'm still a little overwhelmed by celebrity. <laughs> Seriously, Belle just prayed for me. <laughs> Eric and Marin are in a production of Beauty and the Beast happening right now in, uh, where is that? Uh, Caledonia. Caledonia, the Caledonia Community Players, is that what it is? And uh, we went and saw that this weekend. So I, there's just a, just a little bit of awesomeness here. So they did an amazing job. Anyway, <clears throat> now that I'm done embarrassing other people, uh, we are walking through together the book of Acts. Today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 19. Now, uh, what I want to talk about in Acts 19 is very at the very front of the chapter, verses 1 through 10, um, last, uh, last week, Pastor Andrew was up here and he was talking about uh, Acts 18, but he was hanging out, uh, hovering in the beginning of Acts 18, which means he did not kind of get into the stuff at the end of Acts 18 that you almost really just need to know. So I'm going to do a little history lesson here. We're going to cover a little bit of Acts 18, and that'll get us into God's Word for today. So at the end of chapter 18 in the book of Acts, we find our friend Paul, Paul uh, is a believer in Jesus Christ, a newly converted one. He used to hate Christians, and now Jesus got a hold of him and said, no, 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 you're going to be my man for the Gentiles. I'm going to send you out to all different weird places in the world where nobody could think that the word of God could go, and you're going to bring it. And he's like, okay, here I go. So he's got this new call, this new identity, and out he goes. He is on, at the end of 18, uh, Acts 18, he's on his second missionary journey. He's right near the end of it. He's been hanging out in a town called Corinth, and he knows his call there is done, so he moves on from there. He goes and gets a haircut, and then he swings on over to Ephesus. Why we need to know he gets a haircut? I don't know. It's, there's probably some deep theological meaning, and if I'd have studied it, I'd know, and I could be able to tell you, but I didn't. I didn't look it up for today, because I was all about Acts 19, but he got a haircut, and he ended up in the town called Ephesus. Ephesus is kind of our focus as towns go. Um, he gets there and he walks into the synagogue and he's talking to these people and, he, and they're like, wow, this is really cool. We want to hear more. And he's like, sorry, just a teaser. I got to go. He takes off. They wanted him to stay, but he had to go. So he goes out and he finishes his second missionary journey. He ends up in a place called Caesarea and that is where his second journey ends. Now, he's gone out of the picture for the moment. But he didn't leave the church just hanging. He had some folks traveling with him, a guy by the name of Aquila and a gal by the name of Priscilla. And they are in training to be gospel preachers. He's leadership developing. And so they are traveling with him to bring the word of God around this whole known world. And he leaves them behind. He says, you stay in Ephesus. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to be the place where people can hear what God is doing. But they're not the only ones. There's also somebody from Alexandria, a guy by the name of Apollos. 
Now, Alexandria is a Greek town. Apollos is a Greek name, but this man happens to be a Jewish man. This is like, if you're reading this in original language, original time, like these are like big, bright light, shining details. This is weird stuff. We probably need to know he's from Alexandria because that means he's uh, fairly wealthy, he's well-spoken, he's been trained in rhetoric and debate, which means he's probably a really good public speaker. He comes in as a Jewish man who understands that Jesus is the Messiah. He's read his scripture. He knows his Old Testament. He's seen the prophecies, and he says, that's Jesus. He also heard what John the baptizer had to say. He also is aware of what Jesus was preaching and teaching as Jesus was living his earthly ministry, and he is bringing this good news everywhere he can. He lands in Ephesus, and he's preaching the good news of Jesus and repentance from John. But there's something missing from his message. He's not talking about the cross. He's not talking about the resurrection. And as he's preaching this good news, Aquila and Priscilla are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, dude. I'm sure they said, dude, you're missing something. So they pull him aside and they fill him in. And it, it must have blown his mind. He is like, whoa. I mean, They're being developed by Paul to be preacher of the gospel. Now they're, in turn, developing someone else to be preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he wants to preach it. And so it is at this point that Apollos decides, I got to bring this good news out. You're here in Ephesus. I'm heading out to Corinth. So he leaves. He goes off to Corinth to take care of and to be a blessing to the church over there. That's kind of where chapter 18 ends. Paul is off near Jerusalem, out by Caesarea. Apollos has left for Corinth. And now Paul knows it's time to start his third missionary journey. And so he travels, and the first place he ends up, the first place he goes, is back to Ephesus to hang out with the church that he was laying down the foundation for. And he hangs out with them for over two years, longer than he stayed at any of his other church plants, which in some ways makes sense. It's one of the biggest cities in the known world at the time, like Rome and then Ephesus, like 250,000 people. And so he wants to make sure that things are getting started. So this is where we find ourselves. You got, you got all the backstory. Now we're ready for the Word of God from Acts chapter 19. We're going to be verses 1 through 10. Hear this, the the rest of the story. That just dated me. I know, I'm sorry. Paul Harvey. Boyd, yes? Thank you. (laughs) Look it up. Google it. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Well, then what baptism did you receive? And they replied, Well, John's baptism. And Paul said, John's John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. Uh, But he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, That is, in Jesus. 
And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul then entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him. You know those those 12 guys we mentioned earlier? He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Uh, This doesn't mean they went to a different town. Tyrannus is just another meeting space in Ephesus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. The gospel was being preached. Now, Acts as a book is one of those interesting experiences, for me at least. Um, Every time I I read through Acts, I I find myself... um, kind of tempted, because it has a whole bunch of historical accounts and details about who traveled where and when, and this is what Paul did, and then he went over here, and this is what he did, and, and then these people went over here, and they were hanging out with each other, but then they separated, and they hang out with these other people, and it's got like all the details, like every single detail you ever wanted to know. Like, you know, this is where Paul went to get his hair cut. And when you get a whole bunch of historical details going on, sometimes it's really easy. It's really tempting to be like, oh, this is just a historical account. Now, I I probably should read this because it's the Bible, but it's just this one thing happened, and it's like a list. Like, boom, 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 you get a list of things. How exciting is that? It's way different than the gospel. I mean, I, I know the gospel has history stuff in it, but it still has, like, Jesus teaching cool stuff. And, like, I get convicted in my heart, and I learn something new, and he blows my mind, and my eyes are open. It's really cool. It's not just like, okay, somebody over here, and then they went over here, and he's all these places and I've never seen before, and some of them don't even exist anymore, and woo. So a lot of times there's this temptation as we read in Acts uh, to just want to, okay, it's details. This must be like how you're supposed to do stuff. This must be like the rule book. Like first you have to do this, and then you have to do this, and, and, and this is how the church started, and it's really interesting to know, but you know, kind of what does that have to do with me? Now, Maybe in this room, that's the thing I struggle with. Maybe, maybe you're okay with Acts when you're reading it. You're like, oh, this is like illumination. But as I was preparing for today, and I'm reading other folks. I'm like, I'm like online. I'm in the commentaries. I'm digging in on what different people say in different places. And something that I found is that a lot of the folks, a lot, most of the folks that I was reading seem to be really detail-focused, too. Like, they want to dig into the nitty-gritty. They want to dig into the rules. They want, it's like they want to establish the, the, the foundation. Like, this is how everything is supposed to be when it comes to what we understand and what we believe. Like, 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 like what do we have to know about baptism and the Acts will tell us that? And what do we have to know about the Holy Spirit and Acts will tell us that? And that was kind of the big one. There were these huge papers, just words, tons and tons of words with all kinds of big theological meanings. Which basically every time I opened them meant nap time. Seriously, you you have no idea how many times Pastor Andrew interrupts my nap (laughs) when I'm sitting there reading this kind of stuff. 
And all I wanted to talk about was like, this is how you actually have to understand the Holy Spirit. This is how you actually have to understand baptism. This is what we're learning from Acts 19 about these things. And I get it. Okay, I get it. Um, Details are important. Knowing that we've got things right is important. We are from a faith tradition that likes to get things right. We, we, we like our theology. We want to make sure that we're accurate. We want to make sure you think that what we're saying is true. We want to portray God and Jesus properly. We want to get baptism right. We want to get what we teach right. But as I'm doing my research, that seems to be pretty much all anybody wanted to talk about. I mean, do, do you get the Holy Spirit first and then you're baptized? Or do you get uh, baptism and then you get the Holy Spirit? Which one? And, and how crucial is the laying on of hands? Because Paul laid his hands on them and that, that must be really, really important. Or, or uh, uh, do you need a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit that's different than the baptism by water? Or, or is rebaptism okay if the people who did the first baptism did it wrong? Or like, if they do baptism wrong, is it possible to hinder the Holy Spirit? Like to say to the Holy Spirit, no, 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 this is like a closed door because we did baptism wrong. These are the things that people were talking about. Like they were digging into this. Like they were writing books on this kind of stuff. Really long, interesting, boring books. Yes, something can be interesting and boring at the same time. And I'm a fan of details. Do not get me wrong. I like things done in order. Ask anybody who works with me if I like things done in order, you're going to get a big thumbs up about Doug. There's a big thumbs up. But I think we're missing something if that's all we talk about. I think we're missing something if it's all just about the details and the facts and the procedures. And I think a lot of times when we're reading our Bibles, we can get caught up in what's going on in here And we forget how lives are changed and how uh, people interact and and what real people are experiencing and how hearts are impacted. There's way more to know than do we know what we're supposed to know? Are we getting the truth right when it comes to the Holy Spirit and baptism? It's okay to know those things, but we can't stop there. We come from a faith tradition that makes it very tempting for us to stop there. There's this little saying that I've heard kind of about our faith tradition, the Reformed Church in America, what it means to be Reformed. Like, yes, yes, we're Reformed. We believe in a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Yeah, let that sink in. That's not what it's supposed to be. We believe in a triune God. The Father, the Son, and who? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person. Not just a notion. Not just something. We're talking about someone. And anytime you're talking about interacting with, dealing with someone, it means you have to either have a relationship or not have a relationship. Either you invite them into your life or you don't. You can't just know about. Not when it comes to the third person of the Trinity. And we need to know this. We need to grab onto this because we come from a faith tradition that thingifies the Holy Spirit. 
because we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And gifts are these beautiful little things you like get in a box and you open them like, oh, I got this gift. And then you like put it away when you don't need it or you tuck it in your back pocket because, you know, $20 bill and hallelujah. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. You can't just tuck the Holy Spirit in your pocket and, and pull it out when you need it like a parlor trick. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit has opinions and ideas encouragement and challenges that's what it means to be in a relationship when we're in relationship with people we get changed it impacts our lives the the, the folks as paul interacts with them he says ho, ho, ho. you don't know the holy spirit let me introduce you and when they meet the holy spirit their lives change like suddenly they have this anointing suddenly they can prophesy and speak in tongues they went out from there developed now as leaders empowered with gifts and they preached to the whole of asia all of the jews and greeks did you hear that all the jews and greeks in asia heard the gospel because those people those 12 were changed. I was reading uh, John Piper, who is a pastor uh, up in Minneapolis, a uh, Reformed Baptist pastor, and he was talking about Acts um, and how we have this tendency to, to kind of codify what happens in Acts, you know, as if it's like, um, like this happened one time, so now it has to happen every time that way. And he's like, no, no, what happened in Acts happened, but that doesn't mean that it has to happen every time. It's not just a rule book telling us the necessary elements and the hoops to jump through when it comes to faith. This is about faith and discipleship as a relationship, as an interaction between two people, between God and us. It's an experience in which real people, just like us, real people are changed. Where the old broken us is, is abolished through death, death on a cross, and a new beautiful us emerges in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to, in cooperation with God the Father, go out from here proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, the glory of God's name, and, and, and spreading his kingdom everywhere we go. You, you are the church, Paul says in Ephesians 1 which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You are the church. The fullness of him. We aren't just supposed to know something more or better when we become disciples of Jesus Christ. We're meant to be something more. Which is what Paul wants those disciples in Ephesus to get. Oh, great, you know about repentance. Wonderful. You need to understand the fullness of who Christ is. Let me introduce to you the Holy Spirit. He's going to change your life. In fact, this is so important. He wants his people in Ephesus to get this so much 
that like later on, after he had left, and he's off on other travels, I think he was in prison at this point, he wrote them a letter, and he keeps reminding them in his letter to them just how important it is that they are new creations, that they have power, that they are empowered, enabled, that something has happened in them that is different. He says in Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self, created to be like God. To be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To be something new. Knowing the truth is good, but being the truth is powerful. Uh, Andrew shared with me a book about Ephesians as I was getting ready for this. And the author of that book uh, said something right at the beginning that like, like pop, pop my breakers, man. That was really cool. He was talking about how Paul is talking to the Ephesians. And in chapter 4, he tells the people that as the church is transformed by the Spirit, so we look more and more like Jesus, as we take the shape of Christ, God's people will more and more truth in love all over the people around us. How's that for a weird phrase? We will truth in love. Have you ever truthed on somebody? Did you know you could truth at somebody? Yeah, I'm going to truth at you right now. And, and, and it's so weird, like, it's, it's one of those things that as modern-day thinkers, we get a little, we're like, I don't get how that can work. So most English translations translate that to say uh, that we speak the truth in love, but that's not what Paul says. He says we truth on people. He uses the word truth as a verb, as if, we, as if truthing is something we can do, as if, as if truthing is something we can be. That we can follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. You know, like Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We can be that. It's over and over again as he writes this letter reminding them of this truth. Paul says to the people that you have the spirit, folks. God's spirit. You know this person. And he has changed you and empowered you and shaped you into something brand new and beautiful with gifting and purpose. You are new, so you can be different than something that you used to be. You can, you're new, so you can do something different than how you ever used to live. You are new to be filled to the, to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that impacts not just you, but it impacts everybody around you. Because when that happens in us, it overflows. It changes how other people see us and how they experience us. We're changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same one who raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Which means that we are now salt and light. We don't just share salt and share light. We are salt and light. We are flavorful. You ever had something without salt, any sodium at all? You ever had one of those rice cakey things? Hork. 
that is a theological word. Salt is beautiful. Light is gorgeous. It is warm and inviting, especially in the bleak darkness of the black. We are made new. We are transformed by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, this person who changes us, who we're meant to have a relationship with. You ever met a believer who lives a different reality? Like, like they have a totally different perspective on everything. And we're not talking about the kind of la-la land Christian or like Pastor Trent likes to say, the Jesus crispy people. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? When you hear that, you're like, oh yeah, I know people like that. Jesus crispy. <laughs> They're not like that. No, 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 we're talking about people who are just plain different. Because their life is governed by a whole different set of rules when it comes to right and wrong and justice and peace and compassion and patience and love. These things like flow from them as if it just kind of comes from their beating heart. They can't not be these things. And somehow their, their, their framework for life makes them different, but not in a way that, that makes you want to avoid them because they're like Christian weird. But you want to be around them more and more and more because they're Jesus real. That only comes because of the person of the Spirit. The person Paul wants us to meet. So he introduces them to the Spirit in Acts 19, this moment that changes them, that changes lives. And he wants that for all of those of us who want to be disciples of Jesus, to be changed to meet the Spirit, to have a friendship, a relationship, and to be changed. I want that for me. I hope you want that for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for who you are and for meeting us and changing us for calling us. You're beautiful. We love you. Help us to hear you when you speak and to be changed. Show us the power that we have, that you have gifted to us, how you have made us new. And give us the courage to step out boldly with you, arm in arm, into whatever future you have in mind. For the glory of God our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.